Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm interviewing Andy Proudman and Piers Ward, the co-founders of Me and My Golf. These guys have built up a YouTube following of over 770,000 subscribers uh, and have built a multi-seven-figure business in the online golf tuition niche. Uh, So if you're building an online profile, you want to build a personal brand, and you want to build online courses and recurring revenue, this podcast episode really is a must-listen. Hope you enjoy it. In this episode, I'm joined by the co-founders of Me and My Golf, Andy Proudman and Piers Ward. Gents, thanks for joining me here on the Empire Builders podcast. Thanks for having us, Nick. Yeah, good to see you. Cool. Well, um, I'm going to dive straight in. I mean, for those that don't know Andy and Piers, um, and to be fair, we should give credit to your business partner, Neil, as well, who's not on today's uh, today's, uh, recording, but... um, you three guys together have built what seems to be like the number one online golf tuition business um, in the UK, certainly, if not the world. So um, I'd love to know, when people have built an empire like you have and are building, what was the inspiration for getting it started? Like, what were the early days like? I'd love to know. Because you look at the <laughs> and the, you know you've got such a huge following online but like how did it start and what were the early days like oh crikey should i go with this andy yeah yeah you, yeah you go yeah so basically me and andy we played junior golf together at a course called oxley park golf club in wolverhampton and we we kind of got on well and then we ended up doing our pga training pretty much at the same time and we said we should always do a business together a coaching business we always wanted to coach we just loved coaching we never wanted to be players um, when you see us play, you'll see why. But when we um, we eventually had the chance to own a, the teaching rights at Three Hammers Golf Complex, which is a driving range, and we became very good at filling our slots and charging per hour to people. And we thought that was amazing. But we soon found out that actually that was very limited. It was limited on financially, but also limiting to us with our growth and what we wanted to, to achieve in the in the golf world. So, so I guess this, you, you guys probably did what most golf so. pros do. Or, yes. or by the way, I mean, let's not just make this about golf. Most experts do, whether, you know, we could make this about tennis coaches mm. or, or any kind of sports coach or any kind of expert. You kind of like set up a coaching, teaching, training business and you do one-on-one and you fill your diary and you get to the point when you're making a few quid yeah. and then you go, what's next? Absolutely. And there were no more hours left in the week. And we're going, hang on a bit, this is not quite right. And it didn't matter how much money we made, the landlord would probably just put it up a little bit more than we wanted to, the rent. And we got to the point where we were actually, it was weird, we, we were big, we're big into our fitness and YouTube, we would watch YouTube for our workouts. And we see these fitness professionals who were like setting up websites and they were reaching millions of people. And think, hang on, but this looks pretty cool. Maybe there's something in this. So we literally signed our last 15 month contract knowing we were going to leave the objective with that was to save as much money as we could so we could actually fulfill another passion of ours which was traveling so we went traveling then for three months all of our friends and peers and parents thought we were crazy leaving this academy where we were really busy and we were charging money per hour and we were like going hang on a bit this is the last thing that we want so we went traveling around the world, visiting coaches, trying to probably scoping out places to live because we want to move to the US at some point later this year. And we had this amazing experience working with these great coaches. And we we came back and we were full on full throttle into me and my golf. So it then started with a YouTube channel. It developed into a website and kind of stepping back a little bit. Um, you mentioned Neil, one of our, our business partners. He was one of our, he was one of my clients. So I was coaching him. He had an engineering business and we thought about, we could build these training aids and things like that. But then it kind of developed into this. Well, actually, why don't we just develop this platform, a a subscription website where we can charge golfers to come in and give them more value than they would ever get on a one-to-one lesson. So if you have an hour lesson with us, we can give you great value. But if you spent a couple of hours on our website, you'd get even more value. So that's what we were looking for. And I think, 
maybe to our detriment, maybe at some point in our, in our career so far, we became these value machines of just putting out this content all the time, all the time. And you can see you smiling there because you're always talking about how much value we put out there and maybe we put too much out there. But that's what we felt we wanted to do. We had this passion to help people get better at golf. And we just thought that this platform we had on YouTube or the website just sort of amplified it and allows us to reach millions around the world. So, um, again, anyone who's a keen golfer, of which I'm one, will probably have seen you, watched you on YouTube or on, on other social media platforms. Um, funnily enough, I haven't told you this yet. I was wearing some of your branded gear the other day, <laughs> and I was playing in a match at an away golf course. And the guy was like, so how, how did you get that? Like, how did you know about me and my golf? So, well, actually, Andy and Piers are clients of mine. So, you know, I get the benefit of some freebies. He was actually looking at the Odemar Piguet logo, wasn't he? That's what he was Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what was cool was like, um, yeah, he was like, recognise the brand, you know, which which was pretty cool. So so you're well known um, and you've got how many subscribers on YouTube now? About 770, I think, something like that. 770,000, I think. Yeah, to be clear, not 770,000. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's mental, um, like so, so impressive. What were the early days like of building that? Like, because I know I've spoken to a lot of people that have built huge followings online and it's like, you see that now and you see, you drop one video and you're getting, you know, tens of thousands of views immediately and it's all great. But what were the early days like building that channel? First of all, was there anybody else already really doing it in the golf niche? There was, there was one other guy who was doing it called Mark Crossfield. And um, he was a golf pro and he was making sort of doing equipment reviews and lesson tips and that. And we just saw him doing it and thought, well, there's an opportunity here. And then we heard that he was creating a revenue from it. You know, I remember conversation with someone, $100 a month from YouTube. And we were like, wow, he's earning $400 a month from YouTube from putting videos up. Well, it sounds quite, you know, interesting. So he probably inspired us because we saw somebody else going down that route and it probably give us the green light to do it. But the early days, when you look back at the older videos, uh, I mean, I think, was it you? I think, was it you showed me one the other day, Pierce, yeah. where it was indoor? Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. It's so bad because we, we just literally, when we did the early days, me and Pierce would do them on our own. So on a Friday, we'd turn up to, before coaching on a, on a Friday morning, we'd do a video each and we'd do it on our own. And we were so uncomfortable on camera. We didn't have a clue what we'd do in. It was, it, was really, it was really quite hard, but we just knew that actually we wanted to put out this content and there was a demand for it that we just carried on and said, look, let's just put one out every Friday and, and see what happens. Um, no real audio, just a small camera on a tripod and um, yeah, just no, just no clue what we're doing really. But, but hopefully, hopefully our listeners take something from that, which is that done is better than perfect. And when you start, you're never going to be as good as you will be in a few years' time or a decade's time. And when I look back at footage of me speaking on stage in the early days, it's so cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I actually thought I was quite good. <laughs> and, the nuts. <laughs> and, and now I actually think I'm quite good. And in 10 years' time, I'm going to look at videos now and still be cringe. So it's, yeah, I think hopefully um, the listeners here, um, if, you, if you listen to this and you're, you're keen to start putting content out online, maybe starting your own podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever platform, and you're going, oh, I don't really feel like I'm good enough yet. Hopefully you're taking something from this and listening to these guys who have published. How, how many videos have you published on YouTube now? Oh, cracking. I reckon there's 12 to 1,400. Yeah. I'd say. Um, 12 to 1,400 videos published and counting. And, you know, but you've got to start somewhere. So how, how long ago was it when you published the first video? 2011 was the first one. So ten years. it's been 10 years, actually, yeah. Just over 10 years, probably now. So, um, yeah, 2011. The first one we did together might have been 2012. And we were that uncomfortable. All we did was laugh for the first, you know, we, it, was just, it was just a shambles the first time because we, it was just so weird to do this together. But I think that was a good move because that sort of, separated us from anybody else and it become this duo thing and it just it's so much easier now for us to sort of have the rapport and, and and do our thing on camera together really so 
Um, it was a good move. It was a good move back then. But it, like to your point there, Nick, we look at videos that we did six months ago and go, God, what were we doing then? You know, the graphics, you know, weren't very good. And, it, and like you said, it'll be the same now in six months time. We'll be looking at these and going, how much have we improved? So it's just a never ending process. And, and I think, like you say, if you're thinking about getting started, you just got to do it, change, improve, tweak. And we're doing it all the time, just trying to trying to get better. Yeah, one of our mentors, early mentors, said to me that uh, it's better to be first than best. Now, obviously, you guys weren't first, but you were probably, you know, in the first one percent, probably or two percent of people that you know are teaching golf online. And so, um, you know, I think there's 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 no there's nothing anybody can do to go back in time and be first or one of the first, you know, you, you had that advantage. Um, and so, you know, when we look now um, and, you know, I feel like a bit of a dinosaur, I don't really get on with, you know, I don't do TikTok or anything like that, but you look at these new emerging platforms and it's like, it really is better to be first than best. I think, you know, if, if you're first to market in your niche on TikTok or getting on Clubhouse, or, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in a niche, which is not already, highly um saturated on certain platforms you know getting in there getting in there first is just like you've got to get over yourself as you guys have said and mm-hmm. get over that nervousness and that awkwardness and just just get get stuck in and get on with it and here we are 10 years later seven hundred and seventy thousand subscribers on youtube and i think uh, how many members of your membership site now currently yeah we've got over over thirteen thousand. so yeah, yeah. I mean, paying members paying you for online golf tuition i mean you, you think about what most golf pros are earning charging not just about money but about how many people they're reaching and impacting it's you know it's crazy and of course you know you guys have got um you love to travel i know you've just got back from three weeks playing some of the best courses in the world <laughs> um and uh, you know you love to do that and and it gives you the flexibility to do that and if you were teaching at a driving range in Wolverhampton all the time, then you wouldn't be able to have that freedom, that flexibility. So, um, And that was a decision as well, Nick, like Pierre said, really. It was a, we, we looked at that in the early days and said, well, when we're 60, we don't want to be at a driving range doing 60 hours, 60 hours a week. You know, it was like, how can we... And the, I remember the conversation. It was like, how are we going to create a business where we can make money while we sleep? We had that, that thought to decide that we didn't want to be just charging by the hour. So we had to make that switch because it was a conscious decision as well. And we were at the pinnacle range as well. We were at the, we were at the best place in the, in, the, in the Midlands. I mean, just after we left, probably because we left, but it was voted the best range in the country. But <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it, it, was the, it was the best place to be. So it wasn't, it, but in our minds, this is the interesting thing. It was so clear that it was the right thing to do. I never, I never doubted. I don't think Andy did either. Never doubted it once. We literally came back from traveling. We got no money. We were paying ourselves like 150 pounds a week. My mum was buying my chicken breasts for me. You know, it was like, it was hardcore, but at no point, I, I even would say that it's a great way that we did it because it makes you uncomfortable to then want it more. But I never really felt that uncomfortable. And I never really had that fear that it was going to go wrong or it was bad. It just felt right. And I think that, and and now we have, you know, we have the best job in the world. Love it. And I mean, think about if you listen to this and you've got a similar experience or right now you, you feel that you're on the right path, that what you're doing is right. You're certain in yourself, but maybe your friends and family are telling you different and disagreeing. Then, you know, this would demonstrate that maybe you are on the right path. I mean, m- most of my friends and family still do not have a clue what I do. They just don't <laughs> understand it. And that's nothing against them. It's just it's just another world, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had countless experiences where the people around me have said, like, this, this, are you really sure this is a good idea? And I'm like, I can't explain it. But, yeah, there's just so much certainty that I'm on the right path here. Um, so, you know, hopefully, again, uh, listeners – here of the Empire Builders podcast can can take some uh, some solace uh, if you're in that position right now. So I, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to get into like some tactical how to because you know of all the things you've done and you've achieved some amazing things. The, there's a couple of things in particular that I'm personally really interested in finding more about. One is how you've built the YouTube following. 
So, yes, I get that, look, 10 years of consistency is, there is no secret. That said, like, give us a bit more of an idea as to what the, what the strategy has been over the last 10 years and maybe in particular what's working best right now for you in terms of maximizing new subscribers, maximizing um, number of views on your videos, engagement. Like what, what are you finding is working great on YouTube right now? I think, I think maybe the, the, probably to start with how the strategy of what we've done really was that when we, when we started it, I suppose the, the theme behind how we would go about creating the right content, because really the right type of content is what's going to help grow that following. You know, you've got to engage people in the right way. And I think we, we always talked about it in the early days. We called it the McDonald's theory. We're like, look, if somebody's going to McDonald's, they don't want a salad. We're <laughs> going to give them what they want. So it's like, well, look, let's give them what they want, but let's give them a little bit of what they need in that so, for instance, a good example of this is most amateur golfers do not need to backspin their chip shots, but a lot of them will be researching how do I create backspin on my chip shots. So instead of trying to just say, well, we're not going to give them that because they don't need it, we're like, okay, let's do a video on how to backspin your chip shots. Well, let's actually educate them in the right way that goes, well, maybe this isn't the right way to do it, but here's how you create spin, here's the right information, and this is what you do. So everything around our content is about, look, what do people actually want? What are people are writing in the comments? What are the, what are the key words and phrases that they're using? And what we will then do, all the words that they use, consistency, fatting their irons, longer drives, we will use these, their language in the titles, in the descriptions, in what we say, because that's, they're, the, they're the guys who we're, who we're trying to help. So it's been very, very much customer-led instead of, led and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we've done in terms of just listen to what they want give them what they want but do it in a way that we are still educating them and giving them what they need as well because we can't just they want we want to do we want to do the right thing and give them what actually is going to help them ultimately we want to make better golfers so um, and I think that's probably been the biggest thing for us is like understanding what the, what they want but making sure that we still do our best to give them something practical that's really going to help them that they can that they can apply straight away really that's probably been a, a sort of overriding strategy i would say yeah i mean you guys have heard me say countless times now sell them what they want give them what they need and i think it's the mistake so many people make is they try and sell or create content around the things that they think people need to hear or learn but you've got to start with what they want and i think your example there of you know how to get backspin on a chip shot isn't really what they need in most cases, but if it's what they want, then you've got to lead with it. So how did you, um, like maybe now, you know, you've got the benefit of lots of data because you've got lots of followers and lots of people commenting on your videos, but how, how did you at first identify what those topics, what those subject matters were that people really wanted to learn? I think it was, it was the good thing was we've been coaching for 10 years previous. So we kind of knew what they wanted. So it was like we were immersed in it anyway. We, you know, we were immersed in it sort of 50 hours a week, you know, 50 different people a week. So yeah, it wasn't that hard. I guess you had people turn up the range time and time again saying, I want to learn how to backspin my chip shots. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you can barely hit a ball. You do not need <laughs> to learn that. But you give them what they want and they want it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that experience obviously is valuable. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty simple, really. Well, once once we knew that, and then just just looking through the comments, engaging with them, and understanding, and even to the point where, you know, we'd have content that would go up on a weekly basis, which would be a question based on what somebody would want, and that was that was a big part of what we did. I think it was often we probably had a spell of probably two or three years where we pretty much only really either answered someone's question or analysed their golf swing for them. So cool. yeah, it was uh, it, it helped with the experience before for sure. Right. And uh, what else then? So obviously posting consistently content wise for 10 years straight, um, making sure that the content, the subject matter of the videos was based on what they wanted to learn. First and foremost, what else would you say to somebody who wants to really explode their YouTube following? What are some of the key, key tips, key principles when it comes to um, maximizing engagement in those videos? I think I think Andy, Andy will have some there as well, but I mean I'll give you a couple right now. Is but I think I think that well I'll give you one. The 
a really important one is just to understand how the algorithm works at this given point, because you could put a, you could watch a video, how to maximize, um, how to get the best out of a thumbnail. And it was six months ago, then it might be different now, you know, so that it's constantly changing. Obviously YouTube now has got a lot of, um, competition from other platforms as well. Facebook are going hard at obviously YouTube. So the, the YouTube algorithm is constantly changing. So understanding where they, the algorithm is right now is really important. And then understanding, you know, what's the most important thing, you know, in the thumbnail, in the title, in the description, you know, the watch time, what are the key things that YouTube is looking for? And I know you've probably got a load of other things you could probably do. Yeah, I think you guys have done brilliantly as well. Uh, and of course, you have diversified from YouTube and now you do a lot on Instagram and Facebook and elsewhere. But I think what you did brilliantly is you really went all in on one platform. And that's a mistake I think a lot of people make is they're trying to be effectively, it's like when it comes to social media, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. It's going to be very difficult for somebody who's just getting started to understand that that level of depth, the YouTube algorithm and the Facebook one and how Instagram works and LinkedIn and all the others. Um, so my advice is always to really go go all in on one platform, master that, build a following there, and then look to diversify later. I think you guys did that really well. Um, yeah. Andy, I'm, I'm curious to know what are your, what, what do you think the main, the main key principles are or tips right now when it comes to maximizing engagement on YouTube? I think the um, it is interesting because actually the, the the algorithm we probably didn't pay attention to that for the first seven years, really? <laughs> and, and we got by on content on just going let's put content out there. And I look at it now and I go, God, what what were we doing? But now we look at it very closely. We've got somebody who runs the YouTube himself, Sean, who's really good, um, who is he's, he's measuring everything to the point now where like the the start of the video is just absolutely crucial. People are, people are so impatient with time where we used to start a video and we go, hi, it's Piers and Andy here. Welcome to the Asprey. It's a lovely sunny day. Like we've lost, like that would lose them now. That would lose them. So that doesn't work. But the algorithm oh, was different. The data that you've, you've analyzed, how, what, what's the time frame in that first, how long? To get ten sec five to 10 seconds really is, is where you're going to see. You always see a dip in the first five to 10 seconds and then it levels out. It's just how much that dip goes down based on what you're saying, really, and how quickly you grip them. So if you've given me an example of what you used to do that didn't work, give me an example of what you do now that does work. So it would be, it's not even hello. So it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, because we want to be nice. We're like, oh, we want to engage with them and say, hello, how are you doing? And all this, but it's like, it doesn't work. So it's like, right. Stop being so nice. <laughs> to the point, lads. Exactly. And so we will go now. It's like, in today's video, we're going to share with you three tips that are, that's going to help you hit your iron straighter and more consistent. Like, that's it. So people are going, all right, do I want to carry on watching this video? I've got three tips that helps them conceptualize what's going to happen. And it's like, okay, once you've got them on the hook, we then keep them. So you see that little drop at the start. If you lose them, that, that you're, you've lost them. But then once you've got them, after that first 10 seconds, they stay. And it's really then a much more consistent thing. So the, yeah. the start is a, a crucial, crucial part. Yeah, well, something that you just said there, which I've realized that I, I do with this podcast, um, and I think I originally got it from watching a lot of Gary Vee YouTube videos, which is every YouTube video, if you watch um, the Ask Gary Vee show, I don't even know that's still running, but he used to start everything with, in this video, and then what he's going to talk about. Um, and so like, on every episode of this podcast, you could go back and listen to all 50 odd episodes we've done so far. I'm going to say 90% of them, it starts off with the words in this episode, fill in the blank. Um, so I think that would be a great tip for anyone creating videos for YouTube, anyone creating podcasts. If you start each, each episode, each video, whatever it is you're doing with in this video episode and then give them a quick five second summary of what you're going to teach them or what you're going to cover. That's a really great formula. Yeah. And even, even, and we experiment with it. A lot of it will be in this video, we're going to do this. Or sometimes we'll just kick off with a question to engage them a little bit more. So, you know, why is it so hard to hit this club or do you want this? You know, so it might just be a question, something that's going to grip them, but then we're going to do this in this video. Um, 
So I think, look, that the, the start is a key thing. I think one really important thing is that in the video, which we do a lot more now, is that you can't expect people to, to just engage with the video um, just themselves. You have to prompt them. So you have to give them call to action. So um, if you want people to subscribe to your channel, you need to tell them. You need to, you need to ask them to subscribe. If you want people to like the video or comment down below, give them a reason to tell them to like it. If this is useful, then hit that like. Um, if you've got a question for them, leave it down below. You know, leave us a comment down below. Let us know about what you're struggling with your game. You know, you can't really just think that the content itself is going to get the engagement. You have to ask them. We've probably been slack with this over the years because our sole focus has been on just delivering content. And, but now we, 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 you have to play the YouTube game and you have to understand people. So understanding the algorithm, understanding actually just calling the person who's watching this to action. Look, if this is useful, please hit that like. It helps us grow and blah, blah, blah. So the CTAs are crucial in that if you want to grow it and get more people engaging with your videos, which then helps the YouTube algorithm um, show it to more people as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably true on most platforms. I think what you've just said is absolutely relevant on Facebook, on Instagram, on, on LinkedIn, on any other platform that you're creating and publishing content. I, I don't know if, if this is the case for you, but certainly for me, I definitely was a bit reluctant to do that. I didn't want to feel needy yeah. or you know, like I was trying too hard. Or But you go, look, it's the game. It's the game. Like, you, you can, you can, um, you've got to put your ego to one side and just be clear with the call to action. And if you want to, play it cool which is i guess what we're kind of saying here is you don't want to be too needy and ask for it um you want to play it cool you're just not going to get the engagement you, you you've got to get over yourself um and get stuck into it so um i wanted to i wanted to ask you about the membership site now if that's okay so i know you mentioned earlier you're over over thirteen thousand paying subscribers uh on me and my golf which is very very impressive of course um what what are how did that come about? Like, what, what was, um, what came first? Like, YouTube channel, free content, or paid membership? Um, what was the timeline of that? Yeah, YouTube was first. So yeah, YouTube end of two thousand eleven. Then seriously, end of two thousand twelve before we we did that. And then website. I would say would it be two thousand thirteen? We started filming the videos, Andy. Would that be right? Or- Thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, what? Yeah, either one of those it days. Was, one yeah, of those, one so of those it was. Years. It was just a, I think what we wanted to make sure we always had in our mind, we were all in on YouTube. We knew we were going to go to the other platforms, Facebook, and obviously then eventually Instagram. So we knew we were going to do that, but we always had in the back of our mind, what happens if YouTube stops paying us money or we get wiped out, you know, it gets pulled down. So we always felt that we wanted something that was our own. Yeah. And that would be where the premium content would go, the, the real good stuff, the stuff that's really going to help golfers, as opposed to a quick tip, let's actually change golfers. So that was the whole sort of idea behind that. And you've been there and built websites. I mean, it's the most infuriating process you will ever go through. You know, no, I don't know anybody who's ever stuck to a date that they've said they would do something for. That's generally down to not just them, it can be down to us as well, obviously. But we really felt that we needed this product, which was going to be there to help people take charge of their game. That's a big slogan that we used to use a lot in the YouTube videos. And so the idea with this was that we would just create a ton of content. Now, the problem was we created a ton of content in February, March and April in England. Now, we suddenly had this idea as well, this crazy idea that we had to be not wearing waterproof jackets when we were doing this content. It had to make it look as though it was going to actually be a, um, it was all filmed in the summer. So we were literally running around in circles, trying to find a hand dryer in between these takes. But we, we probably did around about 100, 150 videos through this period to go onto this website. And do you know what? I would say that we didn't really get any traction for a few years. It took us a long time to figure out how to market it. It's still taking us a long time to figure out how to market it. But I think what we got is we just got such a strong presence on YouTube that there were people there who really liked us and went, look, I'm not giving you any money. How can I give you some money? How can I actually come in and actually thank you for the help that you've given me? So that's why that's why the YouTube, so that's why the website worked in the beginning. 
how many subscribers did you have roughly? I don't expect you to give me an exact before you started the paid content on the membership site. 150? 150,000 maybe? You see, that you might, see, be, maybe that might be a guess. Maybe, maybe less than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're in, any more than that. You're, in, you're in a decent, very, very decent number. And, and I think, you know, the, the message I hope everyone takes from this is like the patience, the, mm. the, the, the patience you had to put content out, build the subscriber base on YouTube where, you know, I mean, you were getting paid a bit of, I guess, a bit of money, um, sponsor money by YouTube, um, but not huge sums. No. Um, but the patience you demonstrated to get that up and running before you then started um, monetizing it properly with the membership site is staggering. And I think too often people are trying to do it the other way around. They're trying to start the membership site and monetize and start getting paid before they've really earned the right to do so and built the audience. I mean, take this the right way, but with 150,000 subscribers, your marketing of the membership site didn't even need to be that good mm. to get you some sort of decent result. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a really key message is the patience, the time that you spent. I mean, you were way more patient than I think I would have been. Um, so credit for that. I mean, you know, you said that you started doing the YouTube videos in 2011 and you didn't really launch the membership site until 2013, I think you said, 2014. So it was, you know, a good couple of three years before you started monetizing um, more aggressively, I guess. So what, what's been, what have been the key things that have enabled you to build the membership? How, how many, how many members did you get at launch? This would be fun. Cool. At launch? Um, oh, that's a good question. It was a, it was a weird one, wasn't it? It, it wasn't necessarily, I don't even think we did a launch. <laughs> no, it was very, it, it was, was a soft, soft, it, soft, it soft, It was just like launch. we have a website now. So it was like, we, we had a few trickle people coming in and it was, and it was, we didn't really do a launch until we, until we sort of created our first coaching plan. I don't think right. that was when we, um, we would sort of promote it and get people in and, and whatever. But apart from that, it was like, we've got a website and, and, yeah, we, we sort of really didn't know what we were doing, to be fair. We just <laughs> we just put it up and expected people to come. But the, the packages that we were doing, the plans, I think we did Strike Your Irons, Pure Plan, and a few other ones that were sort of more of this structure that people could go and, and do. Um, that was the sort of driving force, and that was the differentiator between that and YouTube because the content was more premium and, and better. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it's, 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 it's been a slow burner, and I think – I think that one of the secrets to what to what to what you were mentioning there as well in terms of I think why we've done well, a is because of the patience. We're like, look, we like, we we didn't take any money from YouTube for three years. We didn't earn any money, but we knew for a fact if we could build an audience and get eyeballs, then there'd be there'd be um, opportunities there for us. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that one then. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I had something else to say, but a lot, I forgot what I was going to say. It's, it's B. It started with B, Andy. <laughs> You've done the A. What's the B? I can't remember. Well, A is patience and B is patience. Let's just yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what, what do you think has been the one thing, um, as you look at the membership site and how that's built to 13,000 active subscribers paying from a trickle at the start, what, what's been like the one thing that's been most... Um, that's been most powerful, that's been most effective in um, creating paying members? I think it, it, it has to come down to the content. So it comes to, Andy already mentioned, the coaching plans that we do. So I suppose if for anyone who's thinking about this, it's kind of creating a method that will get a result for that person. So if it's a break 100, that probably is our most successful plan that we ever launched. And that's obviously getting golfers to break the score of 100, which is a massive pain point for a lot of golfers who can't break 100. So having a product that is, it's, it's, there's a method to it. Now, if you went to America, it wouldn't be called break 100. It'd be called the, you know, the, it, it would be the anti-roll slice draw method. You know, there'd be something sort of a, a funky name to it that would create a buzz that people would come into it and go, oh, I need that method. I need that method. Me and my golf have got this method. I need that. So that, that for me is the biggest thing that really helps because people are looking and going, well, how can I not have this? It creating this thing that people go, I just need this yeah. to do. No one else is doing it either. What's really funny is that what worked for you in building 
the YouTube following in the first place was, as Andy said, the McDonald's theory. Like, mm. no one goes into McDonald's looking for a salad, they go in, give them what they want, right? Mm. Um, and that's how you designed your YouTube content. And by the sounds of it, that's how you designed the products to sell and bring people into the membership. Break 100, it's not called, here's a course on how to play better golf. No. It's not called that. It's called, it's a result based. And I, I bang on about this all the time, you know this. It's like, what's the biggest pain? Or what's the measurable result they want? Either of those two things. And like you said, it could be a course on how to cure your slice. That's a specific pain resolving course. Or it could be a course on how to break 100. That's a result, a tangible, measurable result-based promise. Um, So actually, the philosophy that worked on the YouTube channel in the start is also the philosophy that worked best for building the membership site. And I think so many people, especially in our industry, you know, creating courses, content, trainings, events, they don't do that enough. They don't focus on the measurable, tangible result, um, which I think, you know, in your case, the Break 100 course, you said, has been the most popular of all the plans that you've created. Um, What are some of the others? Break Break 90. 90. (laughs) (laughs) Break 90. I mean, it is interesting because we've got like 14 plans on there now. We've got like we sli- you know slice to draw program. We've got a complete putting, complete chipping. We've just launched the total driving, which has been really successful. Um, so yeah, I mean, and these plans like we, we, it takes me and Pierce probably at least I don't know maybe three weeks to plan these plans. Like that, they're they're quite intense. Me and Pierce get in a room and we just we just go at it for like for, for ages, and it's quite it's quite tedious because we really care. We're like, look, we've got to create this plan that really has to help people. So when we plan in them, it's, it's, it's hard work. But when we put it together and we get this package, it's quite simple. But the, all the groundwork that goes in before, it's, 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 um, if you saw the brainstorms and the brain dumps we had that into these plans, it would be, yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite hard. But that's what, that, that's what makes it simple and that's what makes the product work. It's all about the result for the, for the customer. Yeah, I guess when you're working with an individual client one-on-one, and they want to turn their slice into a draw, it's like you can give them tailored advice based upon the swing fault or what you're looking to change. Whereas when you're trying to do it for the masses, it's like you've got to give them, you've got to try and simplify it and make it principles that will apply across the board. Um, so, yeah, but I think, again, just to underline and reiterate, the, the tangible, measurable result outcome is you've got to sell them what they want, give them what they need. And I think you guys have really mastered that with the membership. Um, final thing I really wanted to talk to you about, and this is more of a selfish question because it's the thing that I'm most interested in. Um, you've formed partnerships and collaborations with some of the most famous brands on the planet, like brands that I'm envious of. Um, so, you know, obviously we're recording this on Zoom so I can see your sponsorship gear, but those listening on the Empire Builders podcast, um, you guys have got, I can see, you've got Adidas, supply all your kit and they sponsor you. TaylorMade, who are one of, if not the biggest golf brand. Audi, um, of course, you know, world famous, um, exclusive high-end car brand. And my personal favorite, of course, uh, Audemars Piquet. Am I saying that correctly? Audemars Piquet, yeah. Piquet, Audemars Piquet, um, which is, you know, one of the high, the top end uh, watch brands on the planet. So, um, and the, I mean, these brands pay you. These brands give you freebies. I'm very envious of this. Um, how, how, like, how would one? And by the way, clearly, you know, TaylorMade sponsor you. They're your golf brand, and and Adidas they supply golf gear. Um, I guess for everybody listening who's built building and has built an empire, like, how can we? forge partnerships gain sponsorships collaborate with some of these inter because it's it's massive for building your credibility as well like people see you on youtube and you've got all this sponsored gear like you know you you guys um look like tour pros Mm -hmm. you know you look at you watch rory mcelroy and tiger woods and and all these amazing golfers on the telly and and you're kitted out like they are um I'd love to think that you play golf like they do as well. <laughs> Although what Pierce said earlier would leave me. Not find that in a few weeks, Nick. Yeah, yeah, we've got our first game together, haven't we? In a few weeks' time. So, um, so I mean, how did you even? Which was the first one? 
how did that come about? And then like, what have been some of the key key principles, distinctions that have enabled you to attract such amazing brands, such amazing partnerships? It, the, the first one was TaylorMade and Adidas. So to, Adidas owned TaylorMade at that point. I mean, TaylorMade, they, I don't know what they turned over last year. It was over a billion, I think, last year, or maybe 900 million. So they're a massive company, but they were owned by Adidas. So it actually came from a, we'd just come back from our world trip and we were like, we were, we were, we were going to be charged for some golf shoes. And at that point, we were like, as I said to you, we're on 150 pound a week. We can't afford to pay for anything. We need free. So we, we always knew that it would be a big part of what we could attract. And we knew there were four that we wanted. And we've got loads of other great sponsors as well. And, but these four ambassador deals were the ones we wanted. We wanted a, cl- a golf clubs, clothing, watch, and a car. And it turned out that with the ones that we wanted are all the ones that we have right now. So I don't know how that happened, but maybe it was just the power of suggestion and just thinking that's what it has to be. One thing that we did do with our, our brand manager, Matt, we changed the, um, so the, the our WhatsApp group is called World Domination. And we changed the avatar to uh, an Odomar Piguet watch. So it was like, okay, just what, look at that every day. <laughs> it will happen. It will happen. Uh, so, so, all right, so seriously, I mean, I, I want to pick this point up because like, and we, we like a bit of woo-woo here yeah, yeah. on the Empire Builders <laughs> podcast and, and um, manifestation mm. and all these kind of things. And like you, in, you, you decided these are the four brands we want to attract. Yep. You made the icon of your WhatsApp group, an AP watch. Yeah. Um, and here you go. Now they yeah. now that you sponsor. I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Like great. Um, like you said, it's it's the, the the power of intention and suggestion and and uh, and I guess having it in your focus, in your awareness. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and, and all it was with Taylor Made and Adidas, really. I mean, we didn't have many subscribers then, but we were doing something a bit new. And I, I think it was many quantified I, I think it was less than 10. Less than 10, it might have been 12,000, anywhere between eight and 12,000 subscribers. So it was okay. It was okay. But it was nothing, no great shakes compared to other businesses and what have you on YouTube. We literally went into the meeting. We got this slideshow presentation ready. We presented to the, to the guys and the girls there. And it was all about what we were going to do for them. It was never about what we wanted. We never, I don't think we even told them what we wanted at that point. We went in there and said, look, we think that your brand is amazing. We have this massive passion for this is what we want to do. So we projected out there what we wanted to do with golf. No one's ever done this before. We want to be consistent and great, great value and help as many people around the world. So we're very passionate about the truth for us, which is to help as many people around the world. But then we went in there with, we have to, we had the mindset before we went in, we have to show them what we can do for them. And it was all about that. And that's where that happened. It was, it was literally, it ended up that they said, well, we like what you're doing. Here's a driver. Here's a bag. Let's see how it goes. Let's give, gave us a couple of outfits, a couple of Adidas outfits, and off you go. So that just developed and developed. and The numbers kept getting better, the relationship with the people. And I think that's another thing as well. We got on well with the people, and we made that happen, I suppose. We didn't want to ever cause a problem. We always made sure that we didn't bitch about anything. We were always in there doing the best for them and getting to know them. So that developed. Um, that became a strong one. Audi was actually, it was so random how that happened because we got asked, it was Audi asked Taylor May to get a tour player to do an advert, a commercial. And they didn't have one for that time slot. So we got a phone call. Do you fancy doing this thing in Barcelona, a night shoot? So it was a, we were me and Andy playing golf. I will have to show you this actually. Me and Andy playing golf on a golf course in Barcelona in the night in pitch black driving around an, an Audi um, R8. Wow. But we weren't actually driving it. They wouldn't let us drive it. They let us sit in it, but they wouldn't let us drive it. So it was a really quite a cool commercial. That went really well. They then said, right, we've got an event in a couple of months. Do you want to come and do that? So then suddenly we were at this event in, uh, again, on the same course in Barcelona with Tom Christensen, who's anyone who's a, a, a race car nut. He was like Mr. Le Mans. He won Le Mans nine times and he got... Hassan Salihamidzic, who's the uh, played for Juventus and into Milan and Bayern Munich. He's the city's the general manager at Bayern Munich. I won Champions League, and we're playing golf with these guys. Going, what's going on here? But then that turned into a sponsorship deal going forward. But I think the one that you're interested in one is the Odomar Piguet one. We tried to do that several times. We tried to get that deal or just a contact with them. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. But our brand manager at the time then started working for a company called Wasserman. 
Wasserman, um, they look after a lot of sports stars. Actually, Casey Wasserman's the guy who's got the LA Olympics in a few years' time. But a lot of the Odomar Piguet players are Wasserman players as well. So we're like, okay, there's a chance here. So we're saying to Matt all the time, push it, push it, push it. And we literally had a party at um, Wasserman HQ in London. And we spoke to Olivier, who's the, the main man there for, for the golf division, for about three hours. And it literally was telling him they've got this golf event, which is really important to them, where they have like 12 ambassadors. So Lee Westwood, Poulter, Henrik Stenson, Darren Clark, they're all there. He says, right, what we want, we have this event. We want to make it better. How can we make it better? So three hours of talking to him, pretty much on a dance floor, most of it was, <laughs> talking to him about how we can actually make your event better. Not about what watch I like that I've seen. None of that ever came into the conversation. I think that it just shows that they, I think it's a, the great thing is it gives them, gives them the, um, that they know that you have best intentions at heart, that you want to create a relationship in the brand. And that's what we want. We never want a, a brand that just pay us money. It's all about building a relationship. Yeah, and I think what what I take from that, and you guys know I, I do fairly well with sponsorships for my events, which most people in our industry don't tend to do that. And I think what you did with Anderson and Taylor made is exactly what I did with sponsors in the first place. Like literally in the early days, I would have people come and sponsor my events, pay a relatively insignificant sum of money, and then be thrilled with the return they got on that investment. So then next time when I went back with them, with a bigger opportunity and asked them for more money, they were more than happy to invest it. Mm. I wasn't trying to kill the golden goose. I wasn't trying to like get as much as I could as quickly as I could. Um, and I think that's the mistake a lot of people make around sponsorship. You know, if you'd have gone into Alas and Taylor May and said, right, we want you to pay us this big chunk of money and we want you to give us all this gear and this and this and this, they probably would have said no because you've only got, what, 10,000 subscribers. So they're not going to get the return, the exposure. Whereas, you know, you made it all about what you'd love to do for them. Um, and they gave you a small amount of gear to start off. And then, of course, as your audience grows, their desire to support you yeah. and once you grow. They, they felt like they got a great deal out of it in the beginning. So they were looking, they were probably thinking, well, we've got a really good deal here. Whereas we knew that we had a really good deal because we just had our foot in the door. Yeah, the good exactly. deal for us at that stage was get the foot in the door and just pr show them how good we are. Yeah, and with AP, it's just by the sounds of it, it was just being persistent. It yeah, was just for sure. Looking at and and you know, there's there's uh, by the sounds of it, there's a few angles that you tried and there was just no opening there. So you've got to you've got to be persistent. And um, I think the big thing really for me when it comes to building sponsorships and and these partnership arrangements is it's relationships ultimately you know you said that the ap deal was effectively done uh you know in a three-hour conversation at a party um you know it wasn't any formal meeting although i'm sure there were formal meetings that happened after that fact but um yeah i think i think the uh, the persistence um to keep going with it and keep pursuing it even when it doesn't happen easily first time is key as well i think, I think the one thing as well to sort of back at what pierce said up there that, that is really key is clarity we, we, we really had, we had a real clear, we had such clarity on what we wanted. So we sat down that, you know, the once and said, what do we want? We want this brand, this brand, this brand. And it was just so clear on what we wanted. It wasn't like we were just going through the motions. We were hundred percent. The future was 100% crystal clear. And it was like, because we had that clarity, we had the certainty that like, I remember we had a plane journey from somewhere and, and, and I, I was reading um, at the time I was reading, we didn't have the sponsorship with AP and I was reading Napoleon Hill's um, Think and Grow Rich. And I remember looking up to Pierce and going, it, this is just, it's just really simple. It's really simple. You just decide what you want. Yeah. <laughs> I remember having the conversation, you just decide what you want and then you work until you get it. It's like, it's just really that simple. You're persistent until you get it. And I was like, we are going to get an Odomar Piguet deal. I, I, I was like, I just know we are because we, we were clear and we just sort of knew how it was going to happen. So the clarity and the certainty were, were just massive. Actually saying, what do we want? And being really specific and then understanding what type of brands would align with us um, that fit with our brand was, was crucial as well. Very, very cool. Very cool. Chaps, I want to be um, respectful of your time. Uh, I know you've got other things to do today. So thank you so, so much 
for joining me here on the Empire Builders podcast. It's been a pleasure getting to know you guys and working with you over the last, uh, whatever it's been, six months, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and seeing your business grow and flourish and excited about continuing to uh, support you and work with you on that journey. Just, just from us, Nick, as well, I mean, you know, obviously – You've been a, a massive influence to us in just a sh- such a short sp- uh, space of time. That was easy for me to say. Um, but, it, you know, going on the the seven-figure seven mastermind with you and just meeting the people who are on the course as well. Can't wait to do these events, these two-day events. We're even thinking about when we move to California, how are we going to do these? <laughs> what time are we going to get at 2 a.m.? But we're like... It's been it's been huge for our business. We've got clarity in our business now a lot more than we've ever had, and that's something that we 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 kind of look. We we're just really good at working hard and doing you know doing good stuff. But actually now we just feel that we're a lot smarter and we're doing the right things. And you've really helped give us a platform for us to build forward. So you know, really appreciate you doing that. And you know, getting on this podcast was was a really nice thing to do as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sure we'll. Um... I'm sure we'll do it again when you hit 20,000, 30,000 members. We'll definitely do one when you hit a million subscribers. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, Pierce, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, and anyone who wants to, if you're listening to the Empire Builders podcast and you're aspiring to be a great golfer, you want to break 100, you want to break 90, check out me and my golf. You can Perfect. find them on YouTube or me and my golf.com and uh, get subscribed to their channel and check out the membership. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks guys for joining me. Take care. See you soon. Cheers, Nick. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.